This morning, I invite you to turn back with us in your scriptures to Ephesians chapter 6. And we read in the fourth verse again concerning building a godly home directed at the parents. He says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Last Sunday, we looked at building a godly home, and we looked at Christ-centered parenting, what it means to be a Christ-centered parent. Being a parent is a blessed and an honorable privilege. It's one of the greatest blessings, I believe, in life. It is such a joy to have children from the Lord. As the scripture says in the Psalms, blessed is the man that hath his quiver full of them. He's truly been blessed. And when parenting is done correctly and blessed of God, it is a very rewarding endeavor. It's very rewarding. We get joy from it. We, we uh, get a pleasure from it. However, it is difficult and challenging. There's a lot of challenges that are associated with raising children, especially when you consider that we are to raise children in the image of God, to reflect the glory and the honor of God, their creator, through their activity and their lifestyle, in the way that they think, in the way that they act. And why this is so challenging is because we produce offspring with a natural proclivity towards sin. It is in their nature. It is in their DNA. It is ingrained within them to sin and to rebel against the true and the living God. They come into this world, not as pure and innocent beings, but they come into this world, the scripture says, as monsters of iniquity. David would say that in sin did my mother conceive me. He would also go on to say in another psalm that the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go forth as soon as they be born, speaking lies. They speak lies not because they are taught to be deceptive, but they are deceptive inherently by nature. It is who they are at the core of their being. We are rebels against the Most High in the very heart of our nature. Not only are they sinners by nature, but that sinful nature that they possessed is easily influenced and shaped and molded by the sins of the parents. They are sinners not only by nature, but they are sinners by nurture. We encourage their sins by our own shortcomings and our own downfalls. When we set a sinful example to them, their sinful nature lays hold of that example and brings it into their being and it begins to replicate within them so that they will attach themselves to the wrong that we do far easier than the good 
that we manifest. This makes raising children very, very difficult. It is complex. It's not easy. Due to the complex nature of raising children with such challenges, there is a natural tendency to leave a child to himself. And while this route momentarily eases the rigor of raising children, it leads to shameful consequences and fails to meet God's instruction for parenting. Solomon would say that a child left to himself causes his mother shame. If a parent, whether that be the father or the mother, pulls back and does not engage with their children to instruct them in the ways of righteousness, if they are not proactive in bringing up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, or if they are soft-handed and do not warn their children about the dangers of sin and transgression, if, do they, if they do not uh, magnify in their child's sight the exceeding sinfulness of sin, and they are not diligent to correct error in their children when they see it, it will lead to that child full-heartedly, full-heartedly engaging in sinful behavior. Solomon would say, I believe it is in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, where he says, because sin against an action is not executed uh, quickly. The hearts of men are fully set in themselves to do them. And that's a paraphrase. I didn't get it word for word because I don't have that particular verse memorized. But that's the overwhelming substance of that verse. That because we do not execute judgment immediately upon a sin in society... The hearts of men are fully set within them to do it. And we can see this as an example in natural life around us with our justice system. Because certain laws are not being enforced, well, men will fully set themselves to do them. We saw this with uh, the cameras around the school zones. You know, before those cameras were put up, men would just fly through those school zones over and over and over again. And I know this because I've gone to work and I go through a school zone every morning. And before those cameras were set up, people would blow through those school zones. But now, because those cameras are there and it is enforced repetitively, you can imagine that there was a great difference in the way people went through those school zones at 7.30 in the morning. They now slow down. Why? Because the execution of judgment for breaking a crime is now being speedily enforced. And because it is being speedily enforced, men have adjusted how they act in those scenarios. And so if we are not engaging our children, if we are not active and proactive in instructing our children, or if we are soft-handed and we are not rebuking them or correcting them when we see sin in their lives, 
it will cause the parents shame. Why? Because the children will set in their heart that this is an acceptable behavior and they will be fully engaged within it because sin is pulling them in that direction. So if not addressing these issues, if leaving the child to himself fails to meet God's instruction for parents, what is the pattern for parenting? What is the instruction that God has mandated for you and I as parents, as protectors and instructors of children, what is God's instruction for us to instruct them? And we find it in our text this morning. He says, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To bring them up literally means to rear to maturity. Our job as parents is to bring our children from their infantile state. They come into this world basically knowing nothing in a cognitive sense. They know nothing in a cognitive sense. And so as their babies, they're learning the world around them. We teach them about their eyes and their ears and their nose. And we uh, teach them uh, mom and dad. We teach them brother and sister. And as they progress in life, we teach them deeper things. We teach them about the world around them, the nature of good and evil. We teach that very early in life, don't we? Because sin is in the world. We have to inform our children that not all people have good intentions when they approach you. We have to tell our children that some people may indeed take them and do unspeakable things to them. What is that? That is instructing our children about the world around them. And we have to do that from a very early age because we're not always there to protect them. We can't keep our eyes on our children 24-7. And so from a very early age, they must be aware of the world around them. So we bring them up. And we are bringing them up to maturity. And what is that? What is maturity? Maturity is independence. It is the ability to think for oneself. I am going to raise my children to where they get to the point where they are able to rationally conclude what they need to do and they need, don't need me anymore to be the motivation for them taking action on what they need to do. They will be independent of me. I will not need to tell them to clean their room. They will see that their room is dirty and they will clean it on their own. That is a sign of maturity. I won't tell them that they need to get their chores done. They will recognize that the chores need to be done and they will do it of themselves. Also, I will teach them how to engage with other individuals. I will no longer tell them that they don't need to respond in kind to a derogatory remark. They will know in and of themselves that it is not appropriate. I will not have to warn them against bad behavior or foul and provocative language. They will know these things are sin in themselves and they will avoid them. Why? Because I have brought them to maturity. 
I am no longer having to correct them. I am no longer having to give them instructions. But they are to become independent thinkers of themselves, able to serve God independently of me. While they are in my home, I am to instruct them how to serve God. That is my only goal. Listen to me, folks. This is your charge. You are to teach them and to guide them how to serve God acceptably. Listen to the words of Paul. Bring them up. That means raise to maturity. How do we do this? In something. In the nurture and admonition of society. Is that what it says? The world around them. Is that what it says? We are to bring them up, to bring them to maturity in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, of God. That means that God is to be at the forefront of our teaching. He is to be the motivation for teaching and instructing our children. He's the why. He's the why. When you say, why am I putting in the effort? Why am I instructing my children the way that I am instructing my children? Why do I correct my children for certain behaviors? The answer to that is God, the Lord. We are raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So what is that nurture? The nurture is the positive. It is the positive side of raising children. It is what you are giving them, what you are imparting to them, what you are encouraging them to do. The nurture is tutorage, education, or training. Tutorage, education, or training. To educate someone is to instruct them in truth. This morning, I am educating you on what God has to say about parenting. That's what I'm doing, standing before you. I am presenting the truth, and even though you've heard it before, I am telling you it again so that it gets further into your mind, so that you are better shaped by it, so that you can take a look at your own life, and so that I can take a look at my life and see maybe where we are not 100% doing it the way that God has instructed us to do it. So I am educating you. I am training you. I am tutoring you on the words of God. So the nurture of the Lord is the training and tutorage of the Lord. So I am going to instruct you as a child as to what the Lord says. I'm going to tell you who God is. It is the positive. I'm going to show you what is right. And then he says, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Admonition is the negative. Raising children is like a car. You've got to have the positive and the negative connected together or the car won't start, right? There's got to be a full circuit. That electricity has to go from one to the other in order to close that circuit, in order to get the car to fire. You have to have a power source. 
And that's how that works. You have to have a positive and a negative. And children, if all you get is positive, if all you're giving them is positive, and there's no negative, they're not going to run right. Because what you're eventually going to be doing is you're going to be reinforcing bad behavior. Because you can't tell me that your child doesn't have bad behavior. Every child has bad behavior. If you tell me that your child doesn't have issues, is, is a little angel, well, you need to go repent of being a liar. Because your child, whether you see it or not, has a sinful heart, and I know that he has sin in his life. And so, there has to be some sins that need to be corrected. But if all you're giving them is positive, you're going to reinforce the bad behavior. On the other side of that, if all you give them is negative, and we're going to look at this a little bit further later on in this message, if all you give them is negative, they're going to be defeated, discouraged, and they're not going to run right. So it takes a, a healthy, godly balance, and that's what parenting is all about. It's all about balance. It's all about balancing the positive with the negative, back and forth, back and forth, and there is a healthy amount of both. Admonition is showing what is wrong. It means, it means to call attention to mild rebuke or warning. And it is the warning of the Lord. It is the rebuke of the Lord. It is the calling attention of the Lord. When my children sin, I call attention to their sin. I don't let them it pass unnoticed, but I call attention to what they have done wrong. And then I rebuke them for what they've done wrong. And I warn them of the consequences of bad behavior, a sinful behavior. Let's call it sinful behavior. I need to stop calling it bad behavior. It's sinful behavior. I call attention to sinful behavior. And I rebuke that sinful behavior. And then I warn them of what God says sinful behavior leads to. So how do we accomplish bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? I've got, I believe it is, eight points this morning. Yep, eight points to bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How do we accomplish this? And I present before you this morning that the way that we bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is to be imitators of the fatherhood of God. The best father that you can be is one that is imitating God the Father. God is our father, and God interacts with us as a father. That's why when we pray, when Jesus said, this is how you pray, our father, which arts in heaven, our father, meaning we are collectively his children and he is our father. Our father, uh, our father in Corinthians, I was, I was getting the verse. In Corinthians, it says that our, uh, his spirit beareth witness with our spirit, crying, Abba, Father, our Father. God is a Father, and he deals with us as children. And so if we take a deep, rich look into what is known as theology proper, 
the study of who God is and how God engages with humanity, it will make us better fathers because we can see how God interacts with us as his children and then we can begin to imitate that in our lives as we engage with our children. So the first thing that we need to be consistent in doing as we bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the tutorage of the Lord is to, and I mentioned this last Sunday, and I spent a lot of time on it, and that is to be the example. Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. And since that is a leadership position in which individuals are taught, and so is fatherhood and motherhood, there is a direct parallel in Paul's admoni- or, or instruction to Timothy that bleeds over into parenting. Parents are to be the example. If parents are giving bad examples to their children, and we're sinners, and that's easy for us to fall into. If we are setting bad examples, our children will follow that example. And so that's why crucifying the old man, dying to ourselves daily, Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. To mortify means to behead or to slay or to kill. And so if we as parents are slaying the sin in our lives, if we are passionate about holiness and righteousness in our lives, and we pursue that course in our lives, our children will see it. They will recognize it. If they see that we are given over to repentance, our children need to see what repentance looks like. If we sin in our homes, we need to publicly repent of our sins. Why, parents? Why do you need to repent of your sins in front of your children? You need to repent of your sins in front of your children because they saw the sin. They saw you sin. They witnessed you defy the true and the living God. They saw your act of rebellion, and they're going to see how you treat it. They are keenly aware at how you deal with your sins. And if you treat it like it's no big deal, how do you think they're going to view sin in their lives? Like it's no big deal. And it is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. And I've said this over and over and over again. Sin is such a big deal that God slew his only begotten son, took his life. An innocent being who had done no wrong, neither was guile found in his mouth. God gave him into the hands of reprobate men so that they would take him and crucify him. And then in the moments of darkness, God unsheathed his sword of justice and brought it down upon the head of his only begotten son because of your sin, because God takes sin seriously. And so when we sin in our homes, 
We need to be very intentional in our repentance. In confessing our sins to our children and letting them know that what I did was not right, it was not acceptable, it was defying God, and I am turning from this and I am going to slay it in the future. I vow within myself to not let this be a regular part of my life. They need to see our repentance. Our motto needs to be that of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 where he says, Be ye followers of me even as I am of Christ. You need to be able to turn to your children and say, You follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Be the example. Next, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11. He says, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. That word exhorted in the text literally means to call them near. To call them near. Do you see what Paul has done? He says, I have called you near as a father doth his children. This relates to the power of presence. What does it mean to call our children near? It means to invoke them, to ask them and implore them to come near me, spend time with me, and to always be available for your children, to be available for them. Do you realize that you can be in the same home as your children and not available to them? They can take a backseat priority in your life because other things at that moment are just more important. We need to get things done. We've got time schedules, time blocks, deadlines, things that are piling up that if we don't get to them now, they may never get done. But we need to understand that our children are not going to be with us forever. You've got a deadline. There's a time coming when your children are going to exit your home. And at that point, the majority of your training is done, aside from them coming back to you and asking you for advice, which they will do over the course of their life, and you rendering aid here and there. But it is not on the same scale and with the same effectiveness as when they are in your home. And so... Being available with your children is very important. It's very important. We need to be available to them so that they feel as though they can come to us at any time with any issue and that we will be there for them. When they've got a question, they need to feel like they can come and ask us at any time. When they've got a problem, they need to feel as though they can come to us even when everything else is going on in our lives and we will fix the problem or address the problem. Are you getting the picture? A lot of parents say, I'm going to go spend quality time with my children. Any time you spend with your children is quality time. So it's not the quality of the time. It's not what you're doing together. It is the quantity of the time. The more you spend time around your children, the more you are emulating what it looks like to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, the more you are there instructing them and encouraging them and comforting them and charging them, the more you are present with them, 
the more effective a parent you will be. How do I know this? Look at God. God has never left us nor forsake us. He is never far from any one of us. All we have to do as his children is open our mouth and speak the words, just breathe the words in prayer, and where is our Heavenly Father? He is right there meeting our needs. Now, we may not always recognize it because he's allowing us to grow in our maturity, but God is there. God is there guiding us and shaping us and molding us and providing for our needs and comforting our souls and giving joy and and peace. God is there. He is a present father. Now, if you just want to be mean to yourself and do some reflection, you can ask the question, how do I compare to God? Now, we'll never match up to God, ever. But how how am I doing in that area of being present with my children? The more you're with them, the more opportunity you have to teach them, instruct them, and be the example for them. The next way that we bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is through clear, consistent teaching of the Word of God. Clear, consistent teaching of the Word of God. Over in Deuteronomy, and this is one of my favorite verses concerning the raising of children and instructing them, he says in verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently. Moses is saying, the words that I have spoken to you, that I've commanded you, that I have given you, you are to take them and you are not to be apathetic in your instruction of your children, but you are to diligently teach them. Diligently teach unto thy children and shout, listen to this. This is so important. And shout, talk of them. Talk of what? What Moses has commanded them, or rather, what God has spoken to them through the means of Moses, the median of Moses. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when you're sitting on the couch, when you're sitting in the chair, when you're sitting in the bed. Listen, when thou sittest in thine house, or and when thou walkest by the way, when you're in your car, when you're traveling down the highway. So you're going to talk of the Bible and the Word of God and the things concerning God when you're sitting in your home, when you're driving in your car, and when thou liest down when you go to bed at night, when you're putting your children to bed at night, talk of the things of the Lord, and when thou risest up. So it sounds like to me that God expects us to be instructing our children in the way of truth at all times of the day. And if you got that indication, you would be right. When you get up in the morning, begin your day with instructing your children in the Word of God. When you go to bed in the evening, be talking about good things relating to the Word of God. When you're sitting around the house doing nothing, talk of your children, instruct your children, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord by giving clear, consistent teaching on what is good. People say, well, we just don't have time for Bible study. Did I say Bible study? Listen, when you are traveling from, I'll give myself an example, when we are traveling from Dawson to Albany, I've got about a 20-minute ride of nothing. I'm not doing anything else but driving. I shouldn't be doing anything else but driving. 
shouldn't be on your phone. And you've got a 20-minute window. A 20-minute window to have a good conversation with your children. My advice to parents is turn the stupid radio off. Turn it off. You can ask my children, does daddy listen to the radio very much in the vehicles? I don't. Because that's my time to think. That's my time to talk. Me and Levi, the other night, coming home from Thanksgiving, driving home from my parents, driving down the road. We're talking about Minecraft and all these video games. And out of nowhere, Levi goes, Dad, do you ever get a weird feeling when you ask, why did God create us? And boom, it was right there. And for the next 30 minutes, me and Levi had a wonderful biblical conversation about why God created us. And I was so encouraged by his level of questioning because that wasn't the only question he asked that night or that was not the only statements of faith that he made that night. He made all these wonderful statements of faith. When I would make a point, he would fire back with another point. When you're driving down the road, you have, you have this window when you can be effectively teaching your children. They're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. As parents, we have no excuse. Again, when you're sitting in the house, that TV takes way too much time. Facebook takes way too much time. This is valuable time, folks. You'll never get it back with your children, ever. When it's gone, it's gone. There is no refund. You can't go back and get more. Spend it wisely because you are a steward of the time God has given you and God's going to come to you one day and ask you, God is going to call you into question for how you spent your time. If God is going to make you give an account for every idle word that you said, that means a word spoken that shouldn't have been spoken. God is, and that's not even sinful. That's just idle word means empty. Just foolish talk about nothing. If God is going to make you give an account for the, time, for the foolish words you said, I can guarantee you he's going to make you give an account for the time you wasted. That's scary as a parent. So we are to talk about them whenever we're sitting in our home, when we put them to bed at night, when we get them up in the morning. At all times in the day, we are to be looking for opportunities to instruct our children in the various ways of the Word of God. Some days we could have a conversation about who God is. Some other days we can have a conversation about who Jesus is. Other days we can have a conversation about what salvation is and why salvation is important. Other days we can talk about what it looks like to have good ethics in the workplace. Other days we can have a conversation on what it means to treat other people godly. There is a multitude of topics, ask any preacher. There is a multitude of topics in the Word of God that the Bible addresses that you can use to teach your children. The Bible is your textbook. Listen to what he says in Psalm 78 in verse 4 through 7. He says, we will not hide them from their children, showing it to generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he had done for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. 
God has written the Bible so that you would make them known to your children. And if you're going to make them known to your children, you must know them yourself. Which means you must be biblically literate. You must know the Word of God. That means you must study the Word of God so that you can teach the Word of God to your children. In Isaiah chapter 28, he tells us how to do this. The importance of it. Chapter 28 and in verse 10. He says, well, verse 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. In other words, who is ready for the more difficult learning in life? Those that are being brought to maturity. Those that are more mature in the faith. And then he says in verse 10, and this is a universal principle, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. What does that mean? It means that in order to shape and instruct your children, you must get the basics first and then you must build upon it. So when your children are two years old, really even before then, but one and two, when they really start understanding things cognitively, that's when you start laying the building blocks. That's when you start teaching them that there's some things that are wrong and some things that are right. That's when you start instructing them in the dynamic of how you treat your siblings. Don't bite. Don't hit. Precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. The next way that we bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and I cannot overemphasize this point, and that is to encourage godly, acceptable behavior. As parents, you are not only your child's instructor, but you are your child's cheerleader. When your child does something good, they need to know that what they did was good. Don't take it for granted. And that's so easy for us to do, isn't it? Our children accomplish a task. They did their chores. We asked them to do their chores, but they went and did their chores. And it's so easy for them to do their chores and for us not to say, well done, you did a good job, simply because they did their chores. Now, you don't have to encourage your child every time because they don't need a pat on the back every single time. You know, that'll... You know, that'll lead to pride because then they'll start doing it for the reaffirmation. But children do need positive affirmation in their life. Children need to be encouraged. Look at the example of Paul. Paul writing, again, pastoring is very similar to parenting. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Verse 7. So that ye were examples to all that believed in Macedonia and Archaea. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Archaea, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread of God so that we need not speak anything. What is Paul doing here? He is encouraging godly, acceptable behavior to the church at Thessalonica. God is encouraging their behavior. Again, uh, over in Philippians uh, chapter 4 and in verse 15, 
He says, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Ephrodotus those things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. What is he doing there? He is encouraging godly behavior. Notice in the book of Revelation and in chapter 3, when John the Apostle is writing to the uh, seven churches of Asia, notice how he addresses these uh, these churches in verse 2, chapter uh, 2 and verse 2. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostle and are not and found them liars. What is he doing there? He's reinforcing, he's encouraging good godly behavior. When we see our children following our instructions and leading lives that are well-pleasing to God the Father, we need to be careful in how we encourage them, but they need our encouragement. Encouragement like what you've done today has been an honor and a glory to God. You've glorified your Lord because you followed his command. Well done. The next thing we need in order to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Remember, I said there is positive and negative. There's positive and negative. And we've, we've already talked about the nurture part, the giving them instructive and talking about the Lord and encouraging in them in the truth. That's the positive side of parenting and bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But then there's the negative side, and that is, Point number five is there needs to be clear, consistent teaching on sin. There needs to be clear, consistent teaching on sin. Romans chapter 3 and in verse 20 says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Again, we're talking about being imitators of God the Father, of the fatherhood of God. God as a Father has given us in His Word clear parameters, clear laws. You know, we don't have to wonder as to what sin is. God's told us. God has told us that lying is a sin. God has told us that adultery is sin. God has told us lust is sin. God has told us that stealing is sin. God has told us that cussing and foul language is sin. We don't have to worry about these, uh, wonder about these things. God has provided clear, consistent laws and regulations in His Word. We as children cannot ever use the excuse my father never told me. Because God has told us over and over and over again what is sin in his word. So when it comes to the household, building a godly home, there needs to be clear, consistent teaching 
on what is sin and what the punishment for sin is. God in His Word, as told in the law, through the law is the knowledge of sin. In the law, He gave us what sin is and also what the penalty for sin is. God has told us what we get if we sin. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. In the law, the penalty for sin is death. And so in our home, how does that come into our home? How that comes into our home is our children need to know what ungodly behavior looks like through us teaching them. Not through us giving them an example, but we need to tell them, if you hit your brother, that is sin, and this is the penalty. If you lie, that is sin, it dishonors God, this is the penalty. If you use foul language in the home, it is sin, and here's the penalty. If you steal, that is sin, this is the penalty. The problem with a lot of parenting and why a lot of, problem, why a lot of parenting goes awry and why a lot of parents, why a lot of children are often confused and often do things within the home that is not acceptable and then they're corrected for it is because the parents have never taken the time to sit down and instruct their children on what is wrong. They just make it up as they go along. Children need to know this is wrong before they ever commit it because you can't deal with sin after it's already been committed and you've never taught them about it. We put laws down to identify sin so that we can deal with it when it comes to pass. Show them the correction, which gets into my sixth point. Discipline. Very quickly, we're going to go through a multitude of verses here about discipline. Proverbs. A lot of these are found in Proverbs. So just go there and we'll be turning back and forth. Proverbs 22 in verse 15. So once... The laws have been clearly articulated once you've laid them out for the children and they break those laws, you need to be true to your teaching of what the penalty is. And this is where, where it a lot of times falls through the cracks. Proverbs chapter 22 and in verse 15. He says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. We've already addressed this. They come into this world as monsters of iniquity, sinners by nature with a corrupt heart. And it is bound in the heart of the child. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. In other words, if you are consistent with correcting your children with negative reinforcement, whatever that may be, if you are consistent in, in enforcing punishment, negative reinforcement, when they transgress, it will drive the sin far from them. That's a promise in the Word of God. Chapter 23 and verse 13. Withhold not correction from the child. That is, to leave a child to himself, which causes his mother shame. Withhold not correction from, a, from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. He's not talking about abuse here. 
He's just talking about if you take a rod and you apply that rod, and as they say, the board of education to the seat of knowledge. If you apply the board of education to the seat of knowledge, he's not going to die. Again, he's not talking about abuse here. He says, thou shalt beat him with the rod and thou shalt deliver his soul from hell, from death. If you discipline your child through negative reinforcement consistently, you will drive sin from him. You will let him know that that is not acceptable. It will curb his behavior and it will make him make good moral decisions in the future. It will. And it will deliver his soul from death. If you discipline your children consistently and you warn them about, let's take, for instance, drug abuse. If you say drugs are sin, abusing your body in that way is sin, and you warn them and you discipline them against sin, the chance of them becoming a, a drug addict when they are older is very slim. And you know what happens to drug addicts? Oftentimes they overdose and they die. So literally, you can save their soul from hell, and hell here is literally the grave, death, an early death. You can save your children from an early death by disciplining them now. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. He says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And that means early. Early in life. He that does not correct and discipline his child with negative reinforcement, the Bible says, does not truly love his children. Because I'm, just from experience, just from experience, when a person refuses to discipline their children correctly, this is just my observation. It has everything to do with the parents' feelings. With the parents' feelings. They don't want to feel bad. They don't want to feel bad for causing their children pain and suffering. It makes them feel uncomfortable. And you know what that tells me? You love, your ch you love yourself more than you love your children. Because you're not willing to put your feelings aside and give them what they need at that moment to correct bad behavior that could potentially lead to their death and destruction because at that moment, it would make you feel uncomfortable. To the parents that are like that, shame on you. He that withholdeth, that spareth his rod, hateth his son. He that loveth him chasteneth betimes. That means early, early in life when they're young, very young. We start discipline in our household very, very early in life because really and truly, physical discipline only works till they're about eight to nine, 10 years old. After that, if you've not instilled within them the corrective structure, it's virtually hopeless at that point because they've come to that critical thinking stage and they've come to that individuality stage. They're becoming their own person and they're going to defy you and they're going to resist you even harder than they've ever done before because they have that personality that has been developed. So you have to get them when they're early if you're going to steal the dynamic of sin and 
righteousness within them. Proverbs 19, verse 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope. Discipline your child while there's still hope for him. You know what that tells me? There's a point where it becomes hopeless. There's a point in that child's life well, when no matter what you do, they will not listen to you. They will not be corrected by you if you've not done it first. If you've not corrected them while there was hope, there gets to a point where they become a hopeless situation. And I've seen it. And I've seen parents struggle with it. They didn't discipline their children when they were younger because it made them feel uncomfortable. And now they're having to deal with the plethora of emotions that come from a rebellious child that is just driving his or her life into the ground, running headlong into an early grave. He says, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. You know what Solomon hits on here? The emotional side. It is easy to be caught up with emotions because they are our children and we love them and we do not like to see them in pain. And by the way, I'm an advocate for physical punishment. Again, not abuse, but in my experience, and by my experience, I mean my own self personally being on the receiving end of it, <laughs> physical punishment works. I can tell you that Whenever I was younger and I received corrective discipline from my father, I didn't do the same thing twice. It ingrained within me a sense of right and wrong. It made me know that there were things that were acceptable and things that were not. And if I breached those things that were not, that I was going to receive something that was very unpleasant. A lot of parents will say, well, you're just grounded from your game for a day. And then two hours later, they're back on it. You have done nothing for that child. You've done nothing for that child. Other forms of dis discipline besides actually physical discipline work, but the key with that is you need to be very firm in how you carry the execution of that out. If you say you're grounded from a month, you need to mean exactly 30 days. There is no 10 days, five days later, they, they are no longer grounded. You need, to mean, you need to mean 30 days, no matter how uncomfortable that makes you feel, how inconvenient that is for you as a parent. You need to set the boundaries, mark them out clearly, and then when they transgress, it needs to be executed firmly. That's the only way discipline works. Point number seven, and I'm going to fly through this very quickly. Long-suffering, merciful, kind, good. In the midst of correction, leave room for mercy. Leave room for loving kindness. Leave room for long-sufferingness, goodness. You don't have to enact the same level of punishment every single time. Let the punishment fit the crime. I, I, I've got kind of a rule in my house, it's a personal rule. I will punish children for doing something outside of my presence that I did not personally see. Like if one kid comes to me and says, so-and-so hit me, so-and-so pushed me down, I'll punish the, the kid, child, whatever, whoever he is, but it will not be near as severe as if I see it. If I see it and I know that they've done wrong, without a shadow of a doubt, if they have transgressed and I know they were in error, it is immediate spanking in my household. There is no pass-go. There is no collect $200. It is straight to the bedroom and with the belt. That's how it's accomplished. 
but I will give leadway on certain issues. I will give mercy on certain issues depending on the level of repentance because we must remember that the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And point number eight, and we will close with this. Listen to how Paul starts our text in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, he says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Colossians chapter 3, and in verse 21, he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. On one side of the road of godly parenting, imitating God the Father, you have a, you have a parent who is a hands-off, soft-handed parent that does nothing that leaves the child to itself, to raise itself, to instruct itself, and does not follow these uh, imitations of God the Father, does not uh, instruct their children, does not encourage their children, does not give clear, consistent teaching on what is sin, does not discipline their children when there is sin. They just leave them to themselves. But then you have a parent who over-disciplines, who is too strict, and God warns us about both. If you are correcting your children on every little issue, if you are raising your voice at them and acting as if, if they are getting in trouble every time they turn around, and if, and if you are correcting them on issues that you've never discussed with them before, but now all of a sudden you're yanking them in the room and tearing their tails up for something that they've never been informed on, you know what you're going to do that child? You're going to push him to rebellion because here's what he's going to do. He's going to say, well, dad's never happy. Mom's never happy. I can never do anything right. And eventually he's going to get discouraged and he's going to say, what's the point? You want to know how it happens when children are raised in a godly home and all of a sudden they get out and go to college and all of a sudden they're drunks and drug addicts? Want to know how that happened? They were raised by heavy-handed parents. The children felt like they could never please their parents. And so they left and they did what they wanted to do. We can choose not to shape our children like God has told us to, or we can break our children. If you ever break a child, breaking a child is not a good thing. We are to mold and shape, but if you break them, you won't get them back. And I cringe when I see either a parent not giving their children the instruction they need, and just letting their children walk all over them. But I cringe even worse when I hear a mother or a father that just constantly dogs their children for the littlest things. Why did you eat that? Why did you do this? Just over and over and over again, because I know where that story ends. As we parent our children, it's a big responsibility. There's a lot of challenges involved that we need to overcome. By the grace of God, we can do it if we look to God the Father as our example. We follow his example and we're clear with our teaching and we're the example for our children and we lead lives of repentance and faith and we give them clear teaching and we encourage them when they do right and we show them what is wrong and we discipline with them when they do wrong, but not in a way that we don't forget mercy being careful lest we become too heavy-handed. May the Lord bless you, keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, and give you peace.